do all things in Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ, through Christ who is my strength. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you're great. We thank you for how awesome you are, how mighty you are, how powerful you are. Thank you, Lord. No matter what circumstance we face, no matter what the situation is in front of us, no matter how great the need, you're greater still. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. No matter how deep the pain, no matter how impossible, we thank you, Lord, that with you it's possible. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Ooh, didn't these guys do a good job of worship today? Ooh, that was hot. Thank you. Fun stuff. Ooh. Happy Mother's Day. Why don't we have all the moms stand up? The moms stand. Yeah. Thank you, Lauren. Any moms here today who did not get a rose when you walked in the door? One in the front, we have a few on the sides. If you didn't get a rose, please, moms, please keep standing. If you didn't get a rose, if we could hand out a rose to those ladies. And we just want to bless you guys today. You know, the name rose means grace. We just want to extend grace to you today. We want to thank you for the sacrifices. We want to thank you for all that you've given. Nadine used to tell me she never got a sick day, she never got a day off. We want to thank you for never taking a sick day. Hallelujah. For never taking a day off. We want to bless you guys today. Anybody else didn't get a rose, just raise your hand. You guys just stretch out a hand. We want to pray for the moms today. We bless you today in Jesus' name. Lord, for each mom who's here today, we ask for more of you. We ask, Lord, that they reap for what they've sown, for every hour they've given, for every sacrifice they've made. Lord, for every investment into that which will last forever, the lives of children, Lord, we ask that you would bless them. I pray, Lord, that they would see a great and abundant harvest, 30, 60, and 100-fold for all that they've given. And bless them and encourage them this day. And, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Can we put some of those announcements up? Is there anybody back in that um, booth over there? We made some slides this week for announcements, and it'll just help me to go through them. There we go. You like that one? Yeah. All right, next slide. We got a few things that are going to be going on. Can we advance them automatically, or are they stuck on the timer? We didn't practice this, can you tell? There we go. Kinship groups are going to run through the end of May, and they'll have uh, the summer off, June, July, and August off. So if you guys are in kinship groups, you can uh, make note of that. Next one. Um, streams classes. Uh, beginning uh, Tuesday night, June 2nd, Nadine and I are going to be teaching the art of hearing God here um, at 8 p.m. So if you haven't taken the streams course before, the 101, the art of hearing God, we'll have a sign-up sheet next week. It costs $50 for the class. That basically covers the cost of the materials. There's a 300-page manual that comes with the class. Um, it was uh, common in a church in Washington, the bridge church we had there, that this course, the Art of Hearing God, basically became our, um, uh, our house rules. It kind of was a standard in which we operated. So if you've never taken a class before and you enjoy being part of this community, I strongly encourage you to take it. If you have taken it before and you already have a manual, you can sit in on the class um, at no extra expense. Oh, these guys are waiting for an offering, huh? I guess I jumped over that. Let's pray for the offering. Lord, thank you uh, for blessing us abundantly. Thank you for the rich and abundant blessings that we enjoy. Lord, we ask that you bless this offering today. Multiply it and use it for the advancement of your kingdom. Bring glory to your name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for giving. If you're making out a check, you can make it out to the bridge. Please be generous. We appreciate it. Okay, we got another thing going. Um, we're going to have two groups going, basically, for the summer. It'll be the, um, the Art of Hearing God, which will take about nine weeks. Um, and then we're going to do, um, I'm going to do a men's group on Thursday nights here. Um, if you, this will be for guys 17 and over. Uh, it's Band of Brothers. Anybody seen Band of Brothers? It was a miniseries on HBO. This is my um, desire to get to know the men better. So it, it is about 10 episodes. 
we'll watch the video for an hour, then we'll talk about it. We'll just kind of share life. I think it'll be a good opportunity for men to, to bond together. I'm all about relationship. There's another interesting bridge logo. There you go. Next one. Youth group, Saturday nights, 7.30 here at the bridge. Um, if you have questions about that, you can see Laurie or Candace. Are either one of them in the room? I don't think so. Next. Prayer meeting, Friday nights. That's going to continue here um, at 8 p.m. at the bridge. You guys have been doing that for a long time, right? Let's see, what else we got? Food pantry, Wednesdays at 6. Goes from 6 till 7.30. Is that correct? Yeah. And you can use some help, right? Could always use some help with the food pantry. To all of our super moms, again, happy Mother's Day to all of you. We appreciate all you do. I tried to find as many New York bridges as I could. Stick our logo in there. That might be the last one. I think that's the last one. One one other announcement. Um, We began today, and we're going to do it each Sunday morning. Dorothy's going to lead a prayer on Sunday mornings before the service from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. It'll be in the prayer room. Um, You're welcome to join us for for part or all of it. Um, Historically, I have found Sunday morning uh, just an awesome time to pray. It's... I don't know why, it's just a time when God really gives me downloads on what, he, what he's doing, usually for that service or just sometimes in general. I get some kind of significant download uh, from him. And Nadine and I joined Dorothy this morning, and God did not disappoint. Boom, he gave me some, gave me some revelation uh, this morning as well. Really neat sense of the presence of God uh, in that room. So you're welcome to join us for prayer before the service. Like I said, it'll go from 9 to 10. That'll still leave us time. You know, many of you have... Uh, wear lots of hats around here. And so you have responsibilities before the service. It'll, it'll still allow for that um, as well. Did I miss any announcements? I don't think so. Band of Brothers, Thursdays, beginning June 4th. Art of Hearing God, Tuesdays, beginning June 6th. The kinships are going to take a break um, at the end of May. They'll be on break for uh, summer break for June, July, and August. Pre-service prayer. Okay, I think that's all the announcements. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Luke chapter 2. Woke up the other morning. You know that twilight time? You're not fully awake. You're not completely asleep. It's another hot time God seems to want to speak to me. Woke me up the other morning with a, with a thought in mind of favor, the importance of favor. And I really had a sense uh, that that's what he wanted me to speak about today. So I'll be speaking about favor. Let me, let me do a little bit of review When I was here in April, I shared a message with you on dreaming God-sized dreams. We looked at Ephesians chapter 3, especially verse 20, that said, you know, we serve a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And we talked a little bit about the difference between God-sized dreams and man-sized dreams. A man-sized dream is basically if we take all the resources we have and pile them up all together, and we we evaluate what those resources are, and then we decide what we're going to do based upon what we have. And we go ahead and try to accomplish it. That's a man-sized dream. A God-sized dream is when we do the same thing. We take all of our resources, we pull them all together, our time, our energy, our money. We come up with a big pile, and we look at it, and it's still not enough to do the thing God told us to do. That's a God-sized dream. Now, a few years ago, God rebuked me. He said, Tom, I have this against you. You dream man-sized dreams. And he challenged me to dream God-sized dreams. I believe that for the bridge... For the bridge of Long Island, for us, it's time for us to dream again. It's time for us to dream God-sized dreams. I want us to do things that he has to show up to accomplish them, otherwise they don't get accomplished. That's a God-sized dream. Why should we settle for anything less? That's what we signed up for. If we could do it without him, then we don't need him, right? We might as well be the Rotary Club, right? We might as well, you know, I don't know. Veterans of foreign war. I mean, we can be some kind of good organization who does good things, but we don't need God. But that's not who we are. We're believers in Christ Jesus, right? We serve the living God. We serve him who can do all things, who does immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. We ought to be people who dream God-sized dreams. Let it be so. Um, I told you that um, there is a God. This is back in April when I was here. A little bit of review. Um, that you, each one of us, have been given a built-in, God-given homing device to our destiny. Anybody remember what that was? Passion, right. 
The built-in, God-given homing device to your destiny is passion. What do you have passion for? What do you have godly passion for? Anybody remember what I said was the difference between godly passion and fleshly passion? Godly passion is when you have fire in the fireplace. It warms up the whole house. Fleshly passion is when you have fire on the living room carpet. It burns down the whole house, right? We want to have godly passions are the God-given homing device to your destiny. That's a good thing. What do you have passion for? That's how I've raised my children. That's how I've pastored people. I ask them, what do you have passion for? Go after that thing. Go after that thing. That will lead you, that'll point you in the direction of God-sized things. Because it's what he put inside you. Isn't that good? That should encourage you. What are you passionate for? Nothing breaks my heart more than to see someone who's lived their whole life ignoring their passion. Right? Nothing sadder than a 50-year-old man who's not living out his passion. It, it's usually the seeds that lead to, lead to midlife crisis, right? Isn't it? I'm living my whole life, and I'm not doing that thing for which I was created. I'm not running after that thing that has been written on my heart since I was in my mother's womb. It's never too late. That's the good news. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what station in life you're at. It's not too late. Why? Because I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Nothing's impossible for him. It's a God-sized thing. And one other point I made that day was, it was the difference between asking the question, what do you want me to do and how do you want me to do it? The man-sized dream asks the question first, God, how am I going to do this? And we make our decision based on the how. God-sized dream asks the question, what you want me to do? And we go and we do that thing first. And then no matter how big it is, how grand it is, how small it is, we do that thing and we trust him for how it's going to happen. If we want to do God-sized things as a people, as individuals, as families, as husbands, as mothers, as fathers, then we have to ask the question what before we ask the question how. How is important. You need to do how, right? You've got to figure out how to do the how. But to live by faith, you ask the question what first. Okay, that's the message I preached when I was here in April. Last week, I talked about focus. I like, to get, I like to do some review just to kind of give you a thread. Hey, this is where we were. This is you know, where we're at. This is where we're going. Last week, I talked about focus. I told you John Paul Jackson is quoted in, in, in saying, what you focus on, you make room for. Right? What are you focusing on? What are you focused on? Are you focused on the light or on the darkness? John Paul had rebuked me after a conference. <laughs> mildly, gently rebuked me, but I opened up the conference, coming against every power and principality, you know, casting out this and rebuking that. And he took me aside afterwards. He said, you know what? I think Jesus would like top billing. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> he said, how about if you just invite his presence? He says, I guarantee you the darkness will flee. If we turn on the light, the darkness will go. It has to, every single time. And he shared with me a story as a young man who a seer. He said, Early on in his walk, he would see mostly dark things. He'd see mostly demonic things. He said they were really gross. And he began to ask God, Lord, let me see what's of the light instead of what's of the darkness. And things got a whole lot better. I was like, hey, that works for me. So even, even before God began to show me things in the spirit, I would pray, Lord, let me see what's of the light. Let me see what's going on in the third heaven and not what's going on in the second heaven. Because if I focus on what I focus on, I make room for. If I focus on the second heaven, I make room for the second heaven. If I focus on the third heaven, I make room for that. If I focus on the enemy, I make room for him. If I focus on God, I make room for him. What are you focused on? If we want to do God-sized things, focus is important. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus, right? The author and perfecter of our faith. We don't want to fix our eyes on what the enemy's doing. I mean... I care, but I don't care what the enemy's doing. It really doesn't matter to me how dark the darkness gets. Matter of fact, if things get darker and darker, it ought to be our finest hour. Because the light shines brightest in the darkness. Right? We are the light of the world. He said so. So what are you focused on? What you focus on, you'll make room for. Light or darkness? Angels or demons? 
problems or possibilities? Is there anyone in this room who's free of problems? I don't think so. Everybody, right? Either problem circumstances or problem people, problem in business, problem in family. We all have problems. But how are we going to look at it? What are we going to focus on? Are we going to focus on the problem or are we going to focus on the possibility? Now, this whole focus thing, what you focus on, you make room for. Am I the only one who's been tested in that this past week? You know, it's fun. When you get to preach on something, you know, you'll either live it beforehand or you'll live it afterwards. You'll live it, you know. But the text that we looked at was from Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. We've all been trained. We've all been conditioned to set our minds on earthly things. There's stuff around us all the time that's screaming out for our attention. And it takes discipline, it takes practice to, to set our minds, to be firmly fixed and set on things above, heavenly things, and not earthly things. It takes practice. It's contrary to our human nature. It's completely contrary to the culture we live in. So again, I say to you, what are you looking at? What are you focused on? Because what you focus on, you'll make room for. And the last point I made last week was fixing our eyes on Jesus. He ought to be the object of our affection. Intimacy with him. Intimacy with God is critical at all times. I don't care what season it is. I don't care what time or, or, or place it is throughout history. Intimacy with God is always a good thing. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, if you're giving somebody good Christian counsel and you tell them to be intimate with God, you're probably going to give them good counsel no matter what they're facing. Be intimate with God. I think it's always a good thing. I think now, in the season we're in now, it's especially important. Because I think the darkness is going to get darker. And what we're going to need in this dark darkness that's almost upon us is we're going to need people who, we're going to need to be people who love, and we're going to need to be people who live by faith. And we can receive, we can grow in love and faith only from intimacy with him. If I've been intimate with him, if I've spent time with the one who is love, it's going to be easier for me to love. I can love my wife more easily after I've spent time with God. I can love you more easily. <laughs> we can love each other more easily. We spend time in his presence. If we're faced with impossible circumstances and we've spent time in the presence of him who can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, we'll have faith for the impossible. We'll have faith no matter what that circumstance is. Intimacy with God's always a good idea. I think it's critically necessary in this hour. So if you're going to choose a focus, let your focus be that thing. Let your focus be intimacy with God. I'll probably say this again and again and again from the pulpit. Be intimate with God. Go where the life is for you. Do whatever works for you in this season, but spend time in His presence. I think we've lived in a day and a season where intimacy with God was almost a luxury. We could, we could live as supernatural people, and it was optional. I think we're getting to a day where it's going to be necessary. It's no longer a luxury. It's no longer optional. I say this to you with a passionate heart. I say this to you as one who really cares, and I want what's best for you. Listen to me. Don't ignore this. Don't let this just you know, slide off of you. Be intimate with God. Spend time with him. You'll need it in this next hour. Nothing else will replace it. Nothing else is a substitute. Nothing else will satisfy. You need to be with him. Focus on him. Let him be your focus. All right, that's my review. Today I want to talk about favor. What is favor? Why do we need favor? How do we get favor? So if you open up to Luke chapter 2, just follow along as I begin reading in verse 41. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, this is Jesus, he went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and answering their, uh, answering their questions. 
Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. I bet they were a little bit more than astonished after four days. My mother would have been a little bit more than astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. (laughs) My mother would have said, Where were you? (laughs) What were you doing? (laughs) Get over here. (laughs) Did I scare somebody just then? Was that too loud? Your mother wouldn't have said that? And Jesus says, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Verse 52. I read all the rest of that to put it in context. Verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Hey, if Jesus had to grow in favor, if he had to grow in favor with God and with men, isn't it fair to say, isn't it safe to assume that you and I are going to have to grow in favor with God and with men? Wherever we're at right now, whatever level of favor you're walking in, there's room for growth. If there was room for Jesus to grow in it, then there's got to be room for me and probably for you to grow in favor as well. So what is favor? If you look up this word favor in Strong's Concordance, it's interesting. It's the Greek word charis, where we get the word um, charismatic. And 130 times in the Greek, it's interpreted as grace. Only six times, this is one of them, it's interpreted as favor. And it basically means goodwill, loving kindness. It means uh, you know, what is due to grace, that spiritual condition of one governed by the power of divine grace. And it also means a benefit or a bounty. Webster's Dictionary defines it as a friendly regard, a gracious kindness, a token of love, or a special privilege or right. If you have favor with men, if you have favor with God, there's a friendly regard toward you. There is a gracious kindness that gets extended to you. There are tokens of love deposited in your heart or in your life. And you're granted special privilege or right. John Paul Jackson interprets favor this way. If you've taken the course, the art of hearing God, you've probably heard this. That favor with God, when you're a person who has favor with God, it indicates that you have a gift. You have a charis. You have a grace. What um, Peter Wagner used to call gracelets. Right? You have favor with God. It indicates that you have a gift. Maybe it's a revelatory gift. Maybe it's a gift like Tim or the rest of the band has in, in worship. Maybe it's a gift for um, you know, any number of, of things. But when you have favor with God, it's a clear indication that there's a gifting that you have in your life. When you have favor with man, it indicates two other things. And this is really important to know. It indicates the timing of your gift's release when you have favor with man. It also indicates the scope of influence that you're going to have in the use of that gift. Right? It's the timing of its release and the scope of favor. This is where most of us get in trouble. When we're in that in-between place of favor with God and favor with man. I know I have a gift, but it's not time for it to be released yet. I don't have influence. There's no scope. It's usually a very frustrating place for people to live. It's also the place where God forms within us character. That's the place where character is built. When you know you have a gift, but you have no favor with man, that's where character is built. It's important to know the difference. I've been a pastor for a long time. I've pastored prophetic people for a long time. You know, this is the place where they usually get tripped up. This is their training ground. This is where they get educated. They have a gift, but they don't have favor. We need to have both. Jesus had to grow not only in favor with God, but favor with man. If you're a gifted person, and probably the more gifted you are, the greater the test and challenges. The more difficult it is to wait until you've garnered favor with man. Right? The more gifting you have, the more entitled that you feel. Uh, am I being honest here? Yes. I mean, most of you guys have been in church a long time, right? Isn't that real? 
You got to wait. <laughs> you got to wait. Because when you push it, you just kind of go in reverse. It just makes a longer wait for you. Have you ever had somebody come into your life, they have no favor with you, and they're kind of pushing and pushing and pushing. What's the natural reaction to someone who's pushing? You push back, or you resist them. It's better to wait for favor. It is so much better to wait for favor. Why do we need favor? Okay, so that was what is favor. Why do we need favor? Favor opens doors to us. It's why we need favor. Let me tell you about an experience I had in the Spirit. About a year ago, God gave me a, um, a series of, of visions. And, in, and, for, and most, um, most of them, one built upon the other, day after day. And the setting for these visions was a hotel lobby for most of them. And it kind of had a 1940-ish kind of feel to it. I don't know why, but that's what he was doing with me. Um, that was the feel, the setting. I'm in this, at one point, this is days into the vision. I'm in the hotel lobby, and someone comes up behind me, taps me on the shoulder. I turn around and look at him, and I'm in this place, I'm seeing many spiritual beings. I've met um, wisdom and revelation, the spirit of wisdom, spirit of revelation, Ephesians chapter 1, 17. I met them. I met someone called the spirit of love. I met the spirit of truth in this hotel lobby. I met um, righteousness. These are all varied um, expressions of the nature and character of God. I seen the Lord as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He took me before his throne. I seen him on his white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, his two-edged sword, in all his glory. He, just, he showed himself to me as the father in various expressions, as a father who would deal with an adult son, man to man. He also revealed himself to me as the father who would play with a little boy who's about five years old. I met, I met with him in a place where he, were, he showed himself to me as my friend. I knew that was the highest place. So I've seen lots of different expressions of God. But I also met someone called Favor. So I'm in this hotel lobby, this 1940s kind of setting. You, you with me? Yeah. And someone taps me on the shoulder, and I turn around, and the person standing there looks like a bellhop. Like you'd see in an old movie, a bellhop, the little hat on, right? He's got a little gold nameplate over here, and it says Favor. That's how I knew his Favor. And he looks at me, he says, follow me. I said, okay. I follow him, he goes, he walks into an elevator, the elevator goes up. And I'm, I got to be honest with you, I mean, most of these experiences, they just rock my world, okay? <laughs> most of the time, I'm kind of going through it somewhat dumbfounded, thinking, wow, this is really cool. I wonder, I wonder what this means, right? And I usually don't have any idea where it's going or what's going to happen. I'm giving explanation because you guys don't know me all that well yet. And it's a little bit vulnerable sharing these things. You, got, you always have to wonder. People think I'm nuts. <laughs> but I'm just going to give it to you. As give, I'll probably over time share with you many stories of these adventures God's taken me on. But this is one day. All right, taps me on the shoulder, says, follow me. And I, he walks into an elevator. I follow him, and we go up. Elevator door opens. He walks out, and he makes a left. I'm just kind of standing in the elevator. I kind of stick my head out and look around this way. Think, well, where are we? You know, where are we going? And he looks at me, he says, real serious, like, he says, I said, follow me. I'm like, oh, and I kind of scamper <laughs> over behind him. And we're going down this long hallway, and on each side, there are doors down this hallway. And they're, um, like you'd see in an old office building. Years ago, I worked at the Empire State Building. It kind of reminded me of that, where most of the office doors had a glass window in them. And there was in gold, in gold lettering with like a black highlight writing on the glass. The glass is like frosted. Can you see that? Mm-hmm. There's, there's writing on each one of the doors. And, and the writing on the doors are the gifts of the Spirit. Mm. And as we're walking down this hallway, I'm walking closely behind Favor. And I noticed as Favor goes down the hallway, the doors open. And as he, and he, as he passes, the doors close. Favor opens doors. If I had followed too far behind him, by the time I got there, the door would have already been closed. If I'd run ahead of him, I'd have gotten there before the doors open. We need favor. Favor opens doors. It opens the right door at the right time. Now, in this experience, the other thing that was happening is I followed closely behind favor. That's what the Lord is trying to tell me. It's important 
to follow closely behind favor. The doors would open, and these people would come out of the doors. They kind of like, looked like 1940s secretaries. And they had mail and packages, and they kept piling up in my arms. They were, they were giving me the mail. They were giving me revelation. You ever heard prophetic words being described as delivering the mail? They would just pile this up on me as I followed closely behind favor. I never would have gotten what I needed if I'd lagged behind. Why do we need favor? Why is favor important? Why do we need to grow in favor with God and with man? Because it opens doors. And we need doors open before us. If we're going to do God-sized things, we need to be in the right place at the right time. There's a, there's a timing issue to doing God-sized things. And favor is an indication of timing. You track with me? Amen. All right. It's impossible to do God-sized things without favor. With favor, anything's impossible. It's amazing what you can do with favor. And it's incredible what you're capable of and yet still impossible for you to do without favor. I've done it both ways. Both in, in the natural, in the spirit realm, in ministry. I've tried to do it with favor. I've tried to do it without favor. It's so much better. <laughs> it's much better with favor. When we spent our years in Washington, in, in West Virginia, you know, grew up here in New York, God sent us to Clarksburg, West Virginia. God has a sense of humor. <laughs> Sending a city kid to West Virginia. Cultural whiplash. He sends us there for eight years. We had very little favor in Washington, in West Virginia. But we went to Washington, and we had extraordinarily, extraordinary levels of favor. It's better with favor. Okay, so how do we grow in favor? If you have a Bible with you, open up to Proverbs chapter 3. Great verse. I want us as a church to do God-sized things. We need to believe him, be able to believe him for God-sized things. Focus is critical to doing God-sized things, and so is favor. And you can, you can kind of wrap all three of these messages up into one bundle. How do we grow in favor? Proverbs chapter 3, the first four verses. The writer of Proverbs says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Take note of verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. So if we let love and faithfulness never leave us, if we bind them around our neck, if we write them on the tablet of our heart, that's how we'll win favor. That's how we gain favor. That's how we grow in favor, through love and faithfulness. Doesn't that make sense? If you are the one who could, who could grant favor to another person, and if that person has been loving toward you, if that person has exhibited faithfulness to you, uh, is there going to be a greater likelihood that you'll extend favor to them? Absolutely. If you're an employer, isn't that what you'd like to see in an employee? Right? Maybe they would get, you know, they'd get your favor. I like how the message puts it. I love Peterson's take on some text. Um, in verse 3, he says, Don't lose your grip on love and loyalty. He interprets faithfulness as loyalty. That sounds right to me. Don't lose your grip on love and loyalty. Tie them around your neck. Carve their initials on your heart. Ooh. I like that word picture. That's when we'll win favor and a good name, both in the sight of God and man. Love and faithfulness. Then, isn't that what I said a couple of weeks back? Is what we'll need and what will be born out of intimacy? Right? Love and faith. We need both of those things. Okay. Now, I just got some practical truth to share with you concerning love and loyalty. You'll be tested in those areas. Do you want to grow in favor? Then the very areas of your life where you'll be tested are in the areas of love and the areas of loyalty. It's how you grow. You have to face the test and you have to pass the test. Love, both love and loyalty are tested in the hard times not in the good times. There's no test of love. There's no test of loyalty when everything's going good, right? <laughs> love and loyalty are tested in the hard times. Do you want to grow in favor? Don't waste your hard times. 
Don't waste your trials. Don't waste the tough things you're going through. It's your opportunity to pass the test. It's your opportunity to grow in favor. It's your opportunity to rise to the occasion. As Nadine would say to me once in a while, man up. Man, it's time. It's in the hard times for you to man up and do what you need to do. You pass the loyalty test. You pass the love test in your marriage, in the workplace, in the church, out in the world. When you pass the love test, when you pass the loyalty test. Love and loyalty are tested when you have the option to either love or to withhold love. When you have the option, loyalty is tested only when you have the option to be disloyal. Their back is exposed. The knife is in my hand. Will I plunge the knife in their back or will I refrain from the temptation to plunge the knife in their back? That's when loyalty is tested. When you have the opportunity to be disloyal. Will I cover them or will I uncover them? Love does what? It covers a multitude of sins. When you cover someone else's sin, when you cover them like a bandage, right? When you, when you shield them, like, like the Secret Service would for the president, where you're willing to take the bullet for them, that's what it means, love covers. It doesn't mean love covers up. It means love stands in the gap. It means love takes the hit. That's loyalty. Don't you know, if you're going to take a bullet for the president, there's a level of loyalty that Secret Service agent has to walk in that's unbelievable. That's what Jesus did for us. Right? He took the hit that we couldn't take. He was extraordinarily loyal to a people who are extraordinarily disloyal. Do you want to grow in favor with God and with man? Then when you're faced with the option to not love, choose to love. When you're faced with the option to be disloyal, choose to be loyal. God will see how you do that with your husband. He'll see how you do that with your wife. He'll see how you do that with your parents or with your employer. And you will grow in favor with him. If we're going to do God-sized things, we will need to have favor. We're going to need to love one another. You're going to need to trust me. I'm going to need to trust you. We're going to need to have favor outside the four walls of this church. And for us to get from here to there as a group, we're going to need this kind of favor. Amen. We're going to need this kind of love, and we're going to need this kind of loyalty. Now let me kind of bring it full circle. I can't do this without God in my life. It is not my nature to choose love. It is not my nature to choose loyalty. Matter of fact, my human nature is to choose to do the other things. It's not my nature to cover someone up and take the hit for them. That's not what's in my flesh. It's not my nature to be loyal, especially if it's at my own expense. Those are godlike qualities. Those are God-sized things. That's the nature and character of Jesus. If I want to be like him, I've got to spend time with him. He needs to rub off on me. Someone told me years ago that shepherds should smell like the sheep, right? Well, I ought to spend enough time in his presence that I smell like him. It ought to rub off on me somehow. If I do that, if I spent time in the presence of the one that the scripture says is love, then when I'm tested in love, I'll be able to choose love. If I've spent time in the presence of the one who's ex who has exhibited to the ultimate degree, Calvary, loyalty to me, when I've been so disloyal to him, then maybe when I'm faced with the option to plunge in the knife, or not to plunge in the knife, I can exhibit his nature and his character and choose to just drop the knife or put it away. Today's test are for tomorrow's favor. The testing that you face today are for favor that God will give you tomorrow. The testing that we faced in West Virginia, when we lived in a land when people were not loving toward us, I, was, I, I received more hurt and more pain 
I had more knives plunged in my back and experienced greater disloyalty from believers in West Virginia than I ever did anywhere else that we've ever lived. But the test that we faced then, some I passed, some I did not pass. But the test that we faced then was like money in the bank for the favor that God gave us eight years later when we moved to Washington. God is faithful. You will not be mocked. What we sow, we will reap. If we pass the test, he'll be faithful. We sow seeds of love. We sow seeds of loyalty. His word promises us that this is how we win favor. Through love and loyalty. And he'll be faithful to you. Amen? Amen. Now, God showed me a few things this morning in pre-service prayer. And I really felt like, uh, like it was for the ministry time. So let's, um, let me share with you what I've seen and just see where, where God goes with that. All right? How are we doing on time? When, when, what time do you guys normally finish? What, historically? All right, noonish. You got a little bit more in you? Sure. Right. I talk a lot. I think I used to preach you about an hour. I'm trying to trim back for you guys. Huh? Preach it. <laughs> um. All right, so we're praying this morning. That's a hot room in there. I mean, the presence of God is really in that prayer room. It didn't take long at all. I think, you know, Dorothy was in there kind of stoking the fires by the, by the time I showed up. But it, almost immediately I sat down, and this is the picture I began to see. It was like a clear container of water, be, uh, container being filled with bubbling waters. The water was just rising, not boiling waters. It wasn't hot. It wasn't to scorch. It wasn't to cause pain. It was bubbling waters. It was like the water was being aerated, and it was filled with bubbles. So the water level was rising. It, the water was filled with life. It was being stirred up. There was activity, and I felt like that was us. It's kind of like what God's doing here. He's filling it up with water. That's a good thing. As, we, as I sat there for a while, just kind of, kind of, uh, you know, this is how it works for me. I see a picture, and if I just keep looking at the picture I'm seeing in the Spirit, usually more revelation comes. Usually it's kind of like this for me. Hmm, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> wonder what that means, you know? And then God shows me more. I tell you that, so maybe it'll help you too. You see weird things, you just look long enough and say, God, what is this? He shows you. I don't know. That's how it works for me. And then I kind of felt like the Spirit of God come through the room and touch me across the head here. And I felt like it was representative for the whole body. He was touching us in the area of our minds. That's where most of us need to be impacted. And when, he, when his spirit impacts us in our minds, two things happen really quickly. One is I've seen scales coming off people's eyes and calluses coming off people's hearts. He touches our minds and we could see more clearly. He touches our minds and we're willing to risk a little bit more in the area of the heart. Why would a heart have calluses on it? Well, it's been wounded, right? Yeah. And it's usually the self-protection that we've created. I think that's what calluses on the heart usually represent. And so I think God wants to touch our minds so we can see with greater clarity and that our hearts will be freer. Hallelujah. And then the next thing I've seen, I've seen this room from this perspective, sitting in this seat, and I've seen angels around the room. And they were standing behind people. And they were ministering to people. They were ministering to their needs. You feel the presence of God just kind of increased with that? Ooh, just kind of felt that right here. So they're here. God's releasing uh, heavenly beings and angelic assistance. Why? Because we've asked for it. So I think there's, I can see them in the back of the room over here and scattered on this side and this side and some on this side here. There are angels. Heavenly beings. I Refer to them as angels or heavenly beings. I'm not always sure exactly what their designation is supposed to be. But angels, uh, beings of light. Standing behind people and ministering to them. And mostly it's on the heads. He's touching the minds so he can impact the eyes and the heart. So why don't you just close your eyes for a second. 
And just to kind of give you a little bit of privacy, because I think what God's doing is he's working on individuals for the sake of the whole body. And this was the next picture he had shown me. Imagine, if you would, a jigsaw puzzle. And I think the puzzle is us. And what he's shown me is most of the pieces of the puzzle are already in place. Just some of the pieces need to be turned around so that they can fit in place. Right? They're there. They just kind of need to be spun around. And I think that's what it means when he touches our mind. He turns us around. There's a change that happens. And that change needs to happen so we can see more clearly, so that our hearts will be free, so we can find our place in the puzzle or our place in the body. So with eyes closed, this is just this is between you and God. If that feels like you today, if you feel like, hey, my eyes, I need scales taken from my eyes, or I desperately want calluses taken from my heart, you know, I really want my puzzle piece to be fit in place here. If you feel like that's you, with everybody's eyes closed, would you just raise your hand quickly and let me know? Okay, that's good. You can drop your hands. That's cool. And the other thing the Lord showed me is that as a whole, we're just one puzzle piece, part of a grander puzzle, a much larger puzzle. So I believe that there's something really big he wants to do, and we have a, a role to play. We're not the whole thing. We're just a piece. And part of us getting positioned in that bigger puzzle is those of us in the body getting fit, fit in our place in the smaller puzzle. So let me pray for you today. Lord, release those angels just like I've seen them. And let them stand behind every person who raised their hand today. Do it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And they're different colors. Some of them are blue. Some of them are white. Some of them are red like the shirt I have on. More of you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would touch your people where they need to be touched. Touch their minds. I pray, Lord, that you would transform your people by the renewing of their minds. Give them the mind of Christ. Lord, some of us need our brains cleansed. We need a good scrub. Give us a good scrub. Lord, some of us, uh, our minds are... It's like, you know, it's kind of like what I'm seeing is like, like there's pollution in our minds. And some of us, it's because we've polluted our minds. We've gone and we've watched things or we've done things we know we weren't supposed to and pollution came in. Others, it's, we're kind of like collateral damage. You see the stuff other people did or it's just the environment we live in. And we kind of got dirty from it. Either way, Lord... Wash us, cleanse us and by your spirit, with your word. Wash our minds, even now. Right across the mind, do it, Lord. And with that, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes. Give us eyes that see. Take the scales from our eyes, oh God. Thank you, Lord. Take the scales from our eyes. Take the scales from our eyes, oh God. That we could see what you see. That we could see one another the way you see us, oh God. Just have, even in praying that, there's just a sense of this overwhelming, passionate, extravagant love that God has for each one of us. Lord, I pray that we could see with those eyes. I pray that as we look at one another, God, that our hearts would just be overwhelmed. With just your extravagant and lavish love. Do it, Lord. So take the scales from our eyes, and from that place of love, take the calluses from our hearts. Lord, I don't want to be the protector of my heart anymore. I've done a miserable job with it. That's why the calluses are there. You come. Be my buckler, my shield, my strong tower. You surround my heart. You be the guardian and protector of my heart, especially in relationships, oh God. I can risk again. Do it, Lord. Do this, Lord. Touch our eyes, touch our minds, touch our hearts. So, Lord, as we, are we, as we face the tests that are right in front of us, the loyalty tests, the love tests that face us today and that face us this week, Lord, and next month that we pass the test, Lord, would you 
do in us whatever needs to be done, that when we're faced with that test, that we pass it next time. And as a community, as a body, that we would string together a long list, a long run of past tests, of successes. I pray, Lord, that when people would look at the bridge in Long Island, they'd say, oh, look how they love one another. That we'd be known as a people who love. That we would live love every day. And maybe more than anything else I've prayed to, today, Lord, I ask that we'd be intimate with you. Lead us to deep, abiding places of personal intimacy with you, of corporate intimacy with you. Lord, some of us have visited that place. Some of us have camped in that place. Some of us only remember that place. Lord, make of us a people who, who dwell in that place of intimacy with you, who take up residence in that place of intimacy with you. Let it begin in me. Take me to deeper places I've ever gone before. Take me further than I've ever gone before. Oh, God, make me to be more like Jesus. Make me to be much, much more like him. And do that for my friends too, Lord. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Now, if you're in a place this morning where you really need somebody to lay hands on you and pray for you, if that's you today, if it's a physical need or an emotional need, if you, need to, if you need to get some, you're in a place today saying, I need somebody to pray for me. You know, just raise your hand. That's good. We've got four or five hands up. I know we have some people who are, who've been released to, to minister. Would you guys uh, just take note, if you guys would just keep your hands up, and some, some of you guys just go and pray for them as the Spirit of God leads you. And maybe we could throw some music on. I'll just close this in prayer. Just go... Somebody just go and pray for those people with their hands up. Just go minister to them today. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for bringing me and Nadine here. Lord, we feel so privileged. I know you have a plan for us. I know you have a purpose for us. Lord, fit us in place. Come and do God-sized things in our midst. Help us to dream again. Lord, I pray that as a token, as a sign that you would release dreams in this body. That we'd have dreams that are initiated by you where you'd speak to your people. Let there be an increase of dreams and visions. Let there be an increase of the activity of heaven, the spiritual beings in our midst. Do it, O oh God. Come and have your way. Come and have your way. Bless our friends on Mother's Day as they visit with their moms as they're visited with. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. If you need ministry, just stay and receive it. The rest of you guys be released. Have an awesome Mother's Day.